0: Hope everyone's hanging in there. I wonder how the uh, parking lot singing vigil went today. <laughs> um, love to hear about that. What a great idea. Uh, we are in our third of six weeks on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, last week we looked at uh, Chapter 5. The last two weeks we looked at Chapter 5. And now we're moving into Chapter 6. So this is kind of where we are in the outline. We looked at the Beatitudes. Is our Christian character, what, is it, what does it mean to be a, an individual who's in the kingdom, a child of God? Looked at salt and light, that we are peculiar people in a fallen world, and so the fact that we are different is going to show itself uh, quite naturally. And that's a good thing. That's, that's expected, and it's actually the purpose of why we're here. And then last week we looked at the law of God and, and the demand for a perfect righteousness. And we saw all these things. God expects full obedience. God demands perfection. God looks at the heart, not just our actions. We now serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. All authority has been given to Jesus, and God demands a radical selflessness. And we looked at it in a way to really accept the fact that some passages are difficult. And we can kind of read through a passage and and kind of interact with the different systems and and different um. Positions on that passage and just help ourselves as Bible Bible students to To accept that tension and to explore and and realize that we grow in maturity It's it's a lifelong study of God's Word and and delving into those depths and then as uh, Chapter 5 ends He says unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And so he goes right in. We've kind of looked at the standard of righteousness. um, And now he's going to talk specifically about practicing that righteousness. Let's go ahead and read some verses from uh, chapter 6, and then we'll pray. So I'll start with chapter chapter 6, verse 2, following what I just read. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others truly I say to you they have received their reward but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others truly I say to you they have received their reward But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jump down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And jump all the way down to verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and the Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God as righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Dave Gonzalez, would you mind praying for us? Yeah, I'll do that. Father, we thank you so much for this time you've given us. Lord, while it's different, we thank you for the technology, Lord. But, Lord, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would ask, Lord, that you would intervene in a mighty way, Lord, on our behalf. Help us to come to you in all things, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would use Keith in a mighty way to bring your message to us. Give us a word that we need to hear, Lord. And we thank you for what you would do. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Sorry for that surprise. That's okay. So on the one hand, as as you look at the expectations, the the perfection that God demands, um, it's only a gospel-driven Christian who's re- really willing to look at himself with such honest scrutiny that Jesus demands a full, perfect heart obedience, and that's why He starts there with the beatitudes. It's it's who we are. The beatitudes describe someone who has the Spirit in them, someone who has been saved who's been justified and is being sanctified. And so chapter 5, it, it doesn't come out and ex, explicitly talk about imputation of righteousness, but it's completely implied. Because there's no way you're going to be better than the Pharisees and Sadducees. If if the intent of that statement is, you just need to do this law better, we're all lost. The point is the righteousness is going, to, is going to blow their minds of what they ever expected, the perfection that God commands. And so we might, we might naturally want to react to, well, well we, can't, we can't fulfill it, so what's the point of trying? But Jesus is going to say something very different. Um, th- there's no hint that Jesus is, wants to relax um, the importance of how we live. It's a, it's a high priority in life. He's extremely interested in our righteous acts. And then what we'll see more in chapter 7 is that evidence of a fruit, the fruit in our life. And so in chapter 6, basically two major ways that he talks about practicing righteousness. First, you might call your religious life or, you know, your your good works um, that others see. And then uh, the second half is more about your your own personal life in different areas. So let's look at each of those. So as far as the religious life, he he has three examples, giving to the needy, uh, prayer, and fasting. And so you might... You might see those just as examples of of everything in our life that what we do for others, what we do for God, and what we do for ourselves in this in the sense of self discipline. And it's you know it's humbling to consider that sin is so pernicious that it follows us into our religious duties, you know our our church works, our church life, our our lives aren't divvied up so that we kind of have a a church life, a church persona on Sundays, and we're someone else the rest of the week. Like, we can just go on sinning, come back to confession, and and get on with our relation to God. You know, sin sin follows us everywhere. Uh, when, when sin touches us and taints us, it, it affects everything. And worst of all, it affects our devotion to God himself. And it just, again, shows our utter dependence on salvation by grace. And so I have six things, I think. I'm going to take all these three Together, I'm not going to draw each one out individually. But if we just look at each of these three areas, I, there's six things that I saw as I, as I read through here. Number one, as we already said, God expects full obedience. And in this sense, I mean it in every area of our life. Number two, that God assumes that we will do good works. When He, said, he says when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, not if. There's a complete assumption uh, that we'll be doing these things that coming to understand perfect righteousness doesn't mean getting rid of such things. Um, It's just to do them, we're going to see in a totally different manner. Maybe the biggest point of the chapter, beware of the danger of hypocrisy. And the definition of hypocrisy here is is pretty simple. It's basically doing things in order to be seen by other people. So it's it's not so much that you're doing things um, from an external stance that look different, but they are because of why you're doing. The motive of why you're doing them is to be seen by others. So the definition of hypocrisy. And the second thing you might say is it's related to that, but it's doing them. You want to be seen because you want to be praised by them. Um, and there's also maybe a subtle hint that you're looking for praise in yourself. Um, I'm not exactly sure this is what it means, but it, when it says it, it, it it says to hide your right hand from your left, which of course is impossible. Hyperbolic language. Um, it seems like maybe you don't want to sit there and dwell on, oh, look at all the good I'm doing. Uh look at what I've done and what I'm doing right now. It's like you're you're thinking about your own actions. It's kind of how I take that. And basically we see that sin is ultimately self-worship and self-adulation. That's what sin is all about. It's about serving ourselves, making ourselves look good, thinking about ourselves, not others, even as we are presumably doing something for others. And we can be deceived by that. We, we can see that we're doing something for others and think that we're good. And yet our heart is far from God's demand and his expectation. Because we're really just serve, We're using the service of others to serve ourselves. That's hypocrisy. And I think there's a hint there at the end of the Lord's uh, Prayer. I didn't read, but, you know, if you're unwilling to forgive others, then God won't forgive you. And I think there's this general principle there. When you ask, when you're asking from God things you're not willing to give others, or you're asking from others what you're not willing to give, that's, that's hypocrisy. And so the difference between a Christian and hypocrites isn't really action and non-action so much. You might think that I'm going to strive for righteousness, and the opposite of that would be to be lazy and do nothing. Well, there, that is, there is that. There are people who don't, there are people who don't care about things, but really we're all religious by nature. And so there is a way of obeying God that's not actually obeying God. And, that, and that's what we kind of saw in chapter 5, where the leaders, at least, and a lot of the Jews then, and we naturally, will look at the demands of God and, and we'll, we'll look for a way to fulfill them. What's the easiest way? What's the lowest way to consider this? Like, as long as I don't actually commit adultery, I'm good. You're not considering, you know, our heart. Um, that lust is always there. So the hypocrites really minimize God's standard of what he really means. And then later in chapter seven, we're going to see wolves in sheep clothing. Those who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these mighty works? They they could really turn to external works and really point to things. They had evidence. And yet in God's eyes, they weren't evidence at all. He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so the difference between uh, a mature Christian a spirit-filled Christian and a hypocrite is not a lack of activity. It's You're going to have to know why you're doing these things. And I, I would also say, beware of the danger of looking at the obvious hypocrite. I read that statement. I mean, who on earth would sound a trumpet and then go, <laughs> you know, look at me, I'm do, I'm giving to the needy. That just sounds so preposterous. I assume he's being hyperbolic there, but we can always look at someone who's worse off than us, right? We, we, can, we can so easily look at, well, I'm not like them, you know, at, at least I don't do that. Um, and we can deflect the fact that this commandment is for us, each of us. Um, don't, don't look at someone who's tooting their own horn. I assume that's where that phrase actually comes from. Uh, fourth, we want to act in faith so that our religious works, all our good works in general be done in secret. There's a, there's an intentionality there to do them in secret because hypocrisy is to be seen by others. Hebrews eleven one tells us now faith is the assurance of things for the conviction of things not seen. Faith and and the things that aren't seen are are so related. And of course we look. I think this is an extension of what we looked at last week. God looks at the heart, not just our actions. And so if you're going to do things in secret, you're actually going to have to work with some determination and forethought. And so the Christian life and the, the desire to practice righteousness is not just kind of willy-nilly walking through the world and, okay, I see an issue, I respond on the spot. Um, there's certainly a time for that. There's time for spontaneity. Um, and maybe our hearts are tested in a time of spontaneity that we can't think of. But actually, in general, Jesus is, is presenting a life of righteousness here that that actually takes. A lot of thought you know maybe as far as going into your room and praying you're you're gonna have to schedule that time you're gonna you know how are you gonna do that in a way that doesn't broadcast like hey i'm going into my prayer closet everybody you've kind of defeated the whole purpose um no you you want to you know if you're gonna have a time of prayer it's it's because it's it's part of your routine um and you've got to think ahead and we all know you know I'm one that wakes to bedtime and I fall asleep right in the middle of it. It's not really doing me any good. Um, In the sense of fasting, they, they have to wake up in time to anoint their head and wash their face. They need to prepare for this day of fasting. So maybe it means getting up earlier. But anyway, it's just that practicing righteousness takes some forethought. There is some strategy to this, to live our life. Faithfully, and maybe it's building habits, it's building a routine. Um, and so um hypocrites again aren't necessarily passive, they're very active. They sound their trumpet, they stand and pray, they pray with many words, they take the time to disfigure their faces. So they actually they don't just get up and start telling people they're fasting, like they actually took effort to make themselves look gloomy. Uh, we're gonna see that they lay up treasures on earth, they serve their master money um again it's not a passive active thing it's it's what you're working towards and then six you'll be motivated by an eternal or temporary reward but not both we're going to talk more about this next week the whole idea of rewards but um jesus is clear you if you do this as a hypocrite you do this to be seen by others you've had your reward that's it um there's no reward for you in heaven hebrews 11 goes on to say without faith it is impossible to please him Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. And maybe this is a bit akin down to verse 24, you know, that we either serve God or money. It's it's one or the other. All right, so let's go on to the second half of chapter 6, the personal life. Keith, I was going to say,
1: too, that God provides gifts and all these things, and that when I give to others, um, it helps me to examine my heart about how covetous I am, you know, that that I'm taking this resource that I can spend on myself. Um, when I fast, it gives me um, an awareness of the good gift of food and I appreciate it far more. And um, in prayer, I realize my dependence upon God. So God is showing his grace in all these things and that if we if really think about them, that he is you know, calling, calling us to himself. So, there's both that aspect too. We are gifted in all of these
0: things that we'll be. Okay, man, Yeah. And I, we could even look at the, you know, the, the, sometimes people have questions like, should I do something if I don't feel like it? Because then am I might just be a hypocrite and a Pharisee. But there is something about believing God, taking His word on faith, and building routines and structures in your life, um, praying when you don't feel like it. Um, and God uses that God uses that routine like like you said, in that heart of giving, even though I don't feel like giving right now, in the very act of giving might just God just might convict me of of that heart um, yeah, very good any any other thoughts on that first half of chapter six? All right, I've got some good discussion questions that's why I'm racing through this. All right, so it did the personal life, and we won't spend as much time on this half, but basically, it has four examples here of now how we might uh, interact with God, how we might carry ourselves. Um, one is to lay up treasures on earth, sorry, lay up treasures in heaven, not those on earth. And treasure on earth isn't, isn't just money, um, you know, it's, that's anything we treasure hopes, ambitions, interests, position, status, honor. Even good things like family or spouse can become an earthly treasure when they're desired more than God and more, more than what he's called us to. So quote from Larkin Lloyd-Jones, it's, laying up treasures uh, in heaven is not a brute denial of self, but a change in what is valuable. So sometimes the image of a Christian and Christianity is that we just, we hunker down, we deny anything we had ever want. Um, ourselves, and you know it's just like this miserable existence. But it's more that our heart's desire changes, and so what we would naturally desire on earth, our our affections are turned to heaven. It's a different kingdom, um, and we run after the things we desire. So we're not we're not actually we're denying ourselves in the in the sense that we're denying when our heart is after earthly things, but actually we we get to run after that which we desire. And as Piper always says, that he's most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. We're actually running to to get the desires of our heart. It's just that our heart has been transformed and fixed with eyes of faith on that which is good, on the on the light, not the darkness, which is that next part that we're focusing on that light. To focus on the light, our bodies are filled with light, not darkness. So we value and serve God, not money. Quite straightforward. We seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And so again, to not worry isn't just to sit there and say, all right, tell yourself, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. No, it's it's that positive aspect of seeking God's kingdom as righteousness. By doing that, you will not worry about your life. Again, it's, it's the eyes of faith. It's just your perspective on reality. And we... We can't see the real kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, with our natural eyes. We need those eyes of faith. And just two main points that I see here. Number one, that the choices here are binary. So I put them in those columns. Like you're gonna do one or the other. There's not really a middle ground here. Kind of like when Jesus said, you're either seeking the reward above or you're seeking a reward now that's gonna fade. Um the second one is that the choices are actually pretty obvious. You look at this light, well, what, what would be good for you? The, the key, though, is they're not obvious unless you understand them and believe them. And that's why faith is just so crucial. Uh, it's impossible without faith. I mean, who would treasure a treasure that's at risk of a thief or a moth? And you know is going to disappear when this life ends. As opposed to one that's set there, secure, kept for you in heaven, as Peter says, and it's eternal; it will last forever. Hebrews um, ten talks about. Uh, you know, your confidence is a great reward. You have a treasure waiting for you that is that is better than this world, and that's why Christians can live in a way that doesn't make any sense. Why they can live though they can those beatitudes can be true of them. They're, they'll happily accept persecution because they're waiting for a better possession and an abiding one and really it really makes no sense you're you're just it's what the bible means by fool like in chapter 7 you can talk about the the one who hears these words of mine and does them is the wise man the one who hears these and doesn't do them is a fool it's folly it's foolishness these choices are so obvious and yet we're just so deceived and distracted by sin. Uh, in chapter, at the end of chapter 6, verse 27, he says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? I mean, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but th- that logic doesn't really work on our hearts, though, because our, our hearts are full of fear at times and, and and anxiety, and we don't have a strong faith in the moment. And so it doesn't make any sense to be anxious. And yet, you, you go tell someone who's anxious that, it, it's not really going to come off as very helpful, even though it's true. So again, how important faith is at the heart of practicing righteousness. So again, chapter 6 then covers religious life and personal life. All right, so I want to get into some, some questions now. So just some three overall questions about practicing righteousness. Um, and I definitely want answers here. These are not uh, rhetorical. So, first of all, is there a contradiction between what we learned about salt and light and now hiding our works? I mean, he specifically says there in chapter 5, a light is not to be hid under a basket, but put on a stand so it might give light to all. You all, so let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others. And now he's saying, uh, go to go in secret. Don't let anyone know what you're doing don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing how do we understand this apparent contradiction anybody
2: i think one uh, key oh, go ahead emmanuel
3: okay sorry um I think it's a matter of the heart, uh, examining your heart, um, uh, your motive behind uh, the giving uh, or your fasting, uh, prayer. Um, it, it, it has to uh, re- really uh, um, be a matter of the heart, whether you're doing it for God or for men. Uh, Even if it's done in
0: a public way or a private way. Amen. Josh, was that you?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, kind of along those same lines, that you have the idea of light, I think, is, you know, suggests us reflecting, you know, the glory of Christ. And if our motivations are not um, right, then we're not reflecting that. So our light is not shining. Even if we're showing off our good works, if they're not being done for the right motives. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, one way you can kind of resolve that tension or, or see how those work together.
4: Okay. I'm going to add to the analogy instead of answering it straight. The, um, when you put salt on food, you don't see the salt. Um, it's absorbed. It changes the situation, the food. And so what you get is you taste it, you don't see it. So the results are different.
0: That's a good point. And, and really, in a sense, we don't typically look at light. But we look at what is illuminated by the light. <laughs> right? We don't typically focus on light itself. Yeah, it, To Josh's point in Chapter 7, we're going to see that you have wolves in sheep's clothing. And so there is, there is a sense that we can be fooled, right? We have the wheats and the tares in the world. And yet somehow you're going to know them by their fruit. So eventually uh, hypocrisy does show itself. Yeah, it, it, it eventually comes out that that's not really light. That's a, that's a counterfeit light. Yeah, great. It's, again, hypocrisy is doing things to be seen by others. So it all goes back to your motivations. Are you, are you turning for the praise of yourself? Are you seeking to glorify God? Because that's what he says in chapter 5. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your who is in heaven. So when we talk about shining and secrecy, we're not really, we might be talking about very physically seeing somebody. Um, I mean, is it, is it really wrong that I tell someone, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm busy right now, I'm, I'm having my prayer time again the question isn't the fact that you said that it's what is your heart motivation in saying that i think it was um susanna wesley had 19 kids running around and she would just throw her it, her dress up over her head and sit in a chair and the kids knew not to bother her because she was in prayer you know again it, it all goes back to heart mode of not necessarily um what people physically see however i think that is a consideration like sometimes to protect your heart that's what you do right that kind of get into my next question so here here i'm really looking at your own examples in your own life what are some examples where you feel this tension like do you have an example where you felt man i could say this but now i feel like i'm i'm doing it in front of men and um and any strategies to to avoid that tension to to try to be righteous and, and and catch yourself from being a hypocritical heart. And that kind of goes into the third question too. We can do those together. What are some practical ways that we can discern our motives?
4: I have a comment. I'm This is Megan, also with my dad. Um, my, um, where I see this in my life is more like in social media where you're having Bible time or something and something is standing out to you and you kind of want to share a picture of it so other people see it, but then there's this tension of, am I just sharing this picture because I want other people that I know to see that I'm reading the Bible or spending more time than they are. Um, So sometimes I think my motives can be, well, they're usually mixed in that sometimes one is more than the other. Yeah. Case, this is Rina, and uh, I I have a comment too. Uh, I also think that you could do a very like a practical self introspection. Look at your own text and hear your own self when you're talking to friends, and and do an inventory of how many times you talk about yourself in the context of doing things for the Lord or for other believers or for the church. You know, I think it's a very practical way of finding out many times really you were the focus of the conversation of course in the overarching uh, you know context of church life or friends or doing good I think those are some ways to catch yourself and figure out really is this self exaltation or do I do it in the name of the Lord because it's it's so subtle and uh, it, it requires work
2: Amen. I think an easy uh just kind of tool along those lines is asking yourself, you know, am I saying this or drawing attention to this to glorify Jesus or to make myself feel better? And you know, the answer will often tell us you know where our heart is at. Uh Keith,
3: um one of the one of the things I do at work um, I I end up doing part of my devotion during my lunch break and in the lunchroom I have colleagues having their lunch break as well and sometimes as I think back um, I have to examine my heart whether I'm doing it as more of a show but um, for the most part it's just between the Lord and me that quiet time that I'm having. Uh, But one of the other reasons I do it is intentionally to open up gospel conversations uh, because people uh, more often than not are curious as to what I'm reading or what I'm doing. And uh, it had led, it has led to opportunities in the past to, to have that gospel conversation and, uh, to to share that devotional uh with whoever is interested so it can go both ways Uh, again you have to go back and examine your heart uh, before the lord in prayer Um, whatever it is that you're doing uh, privately or publicly
0: and in chapter 5 and first peter 2 talk about doing your works actually very intentionally so those would see them and so that's, that, that can sound, again, self-serving, but people are actually drawn to the faith um, when they see good works. And so yeah, I guess it takes just a lot of wisdom and, and prayer and, and testing of your own motives, or your spouse or another friend who hears you in conversation might help you too. Like You know, you talk a lot about yourself there. Um, sometimes we don't see it as well. And, and again, if they we're going to go into next week and talk about the plank in your brother's eye. And yet we're going to see there's actually a time that that's helpful. So um, yeah, each situation is going to be different. Um, maybe I, you know. I, I think about the,
1: I think it was R.C. Sproul that said, um, you know, in terms of shining your light when you're sharing the gospel, you know, so often he said, you need to look at, are you looking for another notch in your belt? or Do you really care about this person? And that they hear, the love of christ and uh that's you know that that's really convicted me over time you know am i just trying to to feel good about myself that i share the gospel or do i really really have a sincere desire to see this person respond
0: yeah and i I think megan is right that probably we're always have some kind of mixed motives (laughs) until the day of the lord i've had uh, the example I thought of was, I've at times wanted to give money to someone who needs it. And on the one hand, I want to give it to them so that they know I'm giving because I want them to know I love them. And, you know, and, and other times, you know, I've chosen to maybe give through the deacons because I don't, again, I'm I'm I, I'm worried about that hypocrisy in my heart. Um, and I guess if I don't know, I that's where I want to err. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not easy. Um, keller had a couple points he says maybe one way that you know like say you're um you're teaching a bible study and do people go away from that study thinking wow that guy really knows his bible or do they come away saying man what a great group what a great god like maybe there's a way of teaching or a way of talking and fellowshiping that are people drawn to you or to the savior um people who know you do they do they get away feeling better or feeling condemned because they can't live up to your standard i thought those are pretty penetrating questions all right let's let's look at um i can get there uh about prayer um so should we pray in public if we're supposed to hide (laughs) we're supposed to go into our room and shut the door and pray to our god in secret why do we have so much public prayer. Now you could be talking about praying at church, you could be talking about praying in a group. Um, What do you think? There's only a few of us on here, so if you've talked, it's okay, you can talk again.
5: You know, Keith, it's interesting uh the uh one one great example of public prayer is Solomon uh, when the temple's being dedicated. Um, I always appreciated there was a i guess he was our regional home missionary in Southern California. He came and taught us on public prayer, and I remember he said, uh, "Are you able to hear me?" yes." Oh sorry um he said that uh long prayers are for the closet and short prayers are for the pulpit and the devil will always try to confuse you as to which is which mm. I thought there was some wisdom in that yeah, like Sorry
4: that. that was Jude that on my on, uh did my
1: my mute but I was going to say, I think he's talking to the people that they're probably not praying in secret at all. They're doing all their praying in public for other people. And, yeah, that's my thought on that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they stand on the street corners. And, and again, it goes back to motive, right? So that they may be praised by others. Again, that you know, so I, I think we can comfortably say there's a place for public prayer, and we have many biblical examples of it um but again that that's what he's talking about it's its not praying in public it's praying in public so that you may be praised by others all right so but this is maybe a little more subtle how do you find yourself praying in a different way when others is that appropriate um you know is there a lack of spontaneity and so therefore less spirit-filled prayers when you think about it i mean Dan, I know you've led Congress prayers that are very much read, <laughs> um, Or just praying in a small group. Are you praying in a way, how much are you thinking about others when you pray? Like, and is that a bad thing if you do? It, you're, you're articulating your words in a way that you know will be helpful for others. Maybe you don't pray with words the way you would on your own. Tim talks about praying to God in the car like he's having a conversation. What do you think? Is, should there be a difference between our public and private prayers? Is it, um, however you want to answer that.
5: I think it's good that we model in our public prayer, uh, you know, obviously all prayer should have its root in scriptural norms, you know, so be looking at the Lord's prayer and modeling your requests after that. Um, but I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Lady Hawk with Matthew Broderick back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. A great movie. He's like a young monk and he has this very sort of Brother Lawrence approach to prayer where he's just talking with God as he's scaling a castle wall or whatever. Um, so maybe not either or, but both and. Um, realize publicly you're not praying just for you, you're praying for the congregation or whoever's asked you to pray, and you're modeling what Christian prayer is like. On the other hand, uh, you know, it's Abba Father. Um, I I don't think we need to have such strong dichotomies there.
0: Mm. Anyone else?
1: We had a dear friend that uh, taught us when she was facing difficult situations, and she was in her 80s by this point, she said she would pray, thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in this situation, Every every um, evidence to the contrary. And that really struck me, that it's a reminder that the reliance is not on, my, on me or what I'm accomplishing in prayer, but that God is active in this situation, and that I can't look at the external. Um, I... I've been convicted in the past, I, I know when, when I've been asked to, to pray, there's that, that sense of um, how is this being received, how is this heard, and really try to focus on the fact that I am talking to God, that I'm before my Heavenly Father, and it doesn't matter what the perception is, it matters what God thinks. That, that can be a challenging balance to find, um, but I'm really trying. Do that, um, and as Dan said, "Always making sure that it's based in scriptural, scriptural based, scriptural basis, and that it's not just me going on about uh, my how am I perceived." There is a, a knife edge to that, you know, making sure that, that, that it's really our words are pleasing to God and not just to ourselves or,
0: or for the sake of public consumption. Yeah, and, and I, I have caught myself. As other people are praying in a group, and I'm, I'm going to pray. I, I'm not even listening to their prayer. I'm, I'm trying to formulate my words so that I, they come out respectfully. Amen. <laughs> Respectively. And it's just how horrible that is. Like, And I know young um, believers often will say that they don't want to pray in public because they don't want to pray heresy. You know, and, and just, you know, they should feel comfortable talking to God and not feel like they're going to be criticized and, and condemned by others listening in.
2: Yeah, I I'd just add to that, that we see a variety of different types of prayer illustrated in scripture um, from, you know, the kind of very intimate, just crying out to God to more formalistic types of prayer. Um, and I think that there's a place for all of that, and it should give us comfort too—that it's not some you know magic formula um, that we have to um, hit it just right, um, but that you know God hears our heart.
1: Uh,
3: Keith, um, one of the great uh, comforts that we have is we have the aid of the Holy Spirit. To aid us in our prayers and sometimes you know whether it be trials or difficult circumstances or hurts they're so strong that we don't even know how to to articulate some of our needs um, before the lord but the holy spirit helps us and it's uh it's a reminder to us that uh, we have to harness if you will his his power and his guidance uh, in our private and public prayer because we're sinful people you know we, we have to continue continually examine our hearts uh when it comes to prayer uh, in whatever context it's being made and god has given us the holy spirit and his word to help us to the in that end
0: amen yeah i mean ultimately he prays for us and then i didn't read it but verse seven and eight when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So the purpose of prayer isn't to inform God. And so if you think you're going to mess it up, now you express it. You know, our our focus is all off, and, and we will be going through Lord's Prayer in another week. Okay, so one more question. Um, fasting, what principles? and 1618 can be applied to other good works. Um, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. Um, but anoint your head, wash your face. What, uh, anything there that we can, yeah, especially when we don't fast a lot, although we should some?
1: I think it goes back again to heart motives. Looking at you know what is our motivation, um, no matter what we're doing, um, and remembering and being convicted by the idea that we are to be lights. You know that others are, others do see that others see a difference. Um, you know the, I think the greatest gift of all this is that those times when it has provoked conversations when. when you know, someone has asked, well, Why are you doing that? And it's opened up the door to be able to share the gospel.
4: Kate, mm-hmm. it uh, reminded me of uh, a sermon from uh, Dr. RC School. Uh, I, I listened to a couple of days, now, a few days back, in which he was uh, talking about the verse. And He says, you know, where Christ says, our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. And in that, he compares, you know, the uh, motivation, like the the Pharisees do the right thing with the wrong motivation. But sometimes we Christians do the wrong thing for the wrong motivation. In that sense, Mm -hmm. the Pharisees are better off than us. Because if we are not even fasting, and then we are turning around and pointing to the Pharisees, hey, you fast, but you are doing it for the wrong motive but it's we who are worse off than them. So it was a very good analogy. And I just thought I could share here because we are called to fast, but with the right motivation. So the point yeah. is higher, but that's no excuse to say that we're not gonna do it Pointing out to others when are doing it wrong.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say earlier too, that I don't know how you get out of this pickle because he's, he's particularly telling us to contrast ourselves with hypocrites. And they're, a natural response to that would be basically we become hypocrites by condemning the hypocrites. <laughs> it's 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 like you can never know that you're humble because as soon as you do, you have pride. Um, great point. One thing I thought of in this one is that what are, what are we doing? We're we're anointing our our head and washing our face not so that we look abnormal and abnormally holy. That that would be normal, and so the. So we take effort so that we look normal um, and we look natural because that's how you're going to be secret, right? Is you're going to blend in with the crowd. And so it's not like you, it's not like you put on a, some clappy, happy face. Like you need to pretend that you're not, maybe you're not in sorrow over something going on. Um, it, it's not a false presentation you're giving the world. You're simply trying to hide that good work, um, or at least hide your 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 bad motives. And so, it seems that you, the people who are fasting here are just trying to be look natural, as opposed going through the pains to look opposite and just to draw attention. Again, it's all about are you drawing attention to yourself or not? That's the point. And I think there's something here about um. You you don't want to do something mechanically, um, like you expect something from God quid pro quo that you I do this so then you'll bless me and that that goes for all these right it's you're seeking the reward because he's a gracious God and gives good gifts to his children and I suppose we'll hit this more in the rewards class but it's it's not a I do this so you do this for me kind of a thing because that's not really grace anymore and then uh, Lloyd Jones had one specifically about fasting in first Corinthians 7 um, when husbands and wives are, are called at times to pause sexual relations, it, that's a form of fasting. So fasting isn't just about food. It, it could be about any kind of um, appetite. It, it could be about any anything. Um, you know, you can fast for all sorts of things. It's just, it's it's you're pausing from something normal in the world that is right to enjoy, and you're doing it for the sense that it's going to it's, it's you know, whenever you, you desire that thing, if you're you're going to be reminded that God is the giver of all good things, um, and that denying yourself has some good in it, as it draws you to God. So that that would, if we did a whole class on fasting, we could go more into that. Any last thoughts about the whole passage, uh, this one, this part or or any of it?
2: Uh, this whole discussion, it just strikes me how important faith is in terms of that. You know, we need to, um, you know, respond to what Scripture is teaching us. Um, but like Megan said in an earlier comment, we're always going to have mixed motivations. Um, and so we need to also be acting in faith, trusting that because we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who's mediating um for us that our our works will be acceptable to God um, through faith because of the work of Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. Uh, Josh, would you mind closing us in prayer?
2: Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, your love for your church. Um, thank you that um, you have in- instruct us through your word. I pray that you would Help this discussion to uh, lead us to grow in our love for you and in our desire to um, serve you through doing good works out of a motivation to please you and not bring glory to ourselves.
1: And we pray that you would prepare hearts uh, for worship this morning as we worship together in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Amen.